welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by the CEO of Holly Health, and that is Grace Gimson. This is a bonus episode because Holly Health are one of our new Somex clients. So Grace is a business leader, and she's got 10 plus years of experience in operations, strategy, and expansion. She's led teams, projects, and operations in some of the highest growth companies in Europe, including Microsoft, Facebook, Aldi, Deliveroo, and Scape Technologies. Grace then went on to co-found Holly Health with her partner Claire, and Holly Health supports millions of individuals to give their bodies and brains the best chance of disease prevention. Aims to increase the quality of life for those millions around the world. So I hope you enjoy it. Way we start these these podcasts, as you probably know, is that we get you to tell your story. So um, we obviously know each other. Um, this is a bonus episode, as we are working with you at Somex, one of our clients. Um, so I know your story very well, and it's one of uh, well working in in health tech and technology and moving into entrepreneurship and starting your own company and lots of cool stuff. Um, and the way you're building Holly Health in the wellness space and hard science and regulation and all this sort of stuff is super exciting and definitely the direction that I think this needs to go this being the wellness space and so there's loads that I want to talk to you about there's loads that we're obviously doing together which is super exciting so I guess we'll start by asking you to tell your story absolutely thank you for that very nice intro um, so yeah a little bit of background um, I I'll go back to about 15 years old because I I always remember really well my brother and I I have a twin brother both decided categorically that we would start our own companies in the future Um, and he actually set his business up at age 16 um, and he's still running it now and uh, it's a kind of engineering company creating actuators and custom jobs for lots of different kinds of things and I wanted to take a very different route to to kind of business creation Um, and I really wanted to find a way to solve a massive human problem and do it in a way that can scale internationally Um, and I I knew that obviously that would take a whole lot of work um, and that I didn't have the skills or experience to do that at the time Um, so I kind of put myself on the path of learning how to do that Um, which sent me down the university route where I studied business management, um, worked at Microsoft for a year as part of my degree, which was awesome, Um, got to know the world of startups and technology and everything that was evolving at the time. And then while I was doing that, I I kind of randomly fell into a group of medics at uni, how how you kind of meet people in the first week and then you stay friends with them for life. Um, And so I really interestingly got a view into the world of medicine um, from that point onwards and saw their their journeys evolve into their specialisms over the years and all the challenges that they have day to day um, and that we have generally kind of in the population with with health challenges and that's just always been on my mind throughout the whole time um, in my career but what what I wanted to do in terms of um, business creation was work out how to start a company from scratch, work out how to lead a company, how to um, run it really well. So 
I didn't go straight into the medical world or health tech world or anything like that. I went into retail. Um, so I chucked myself into um, Aldi, the supermarket, which um, has um, reportedly one of the toughest grad schemes in the world. And uh, I can kind of say that it was. It was, it was sleepless <laughs> nights. It was um, very, very challenging, but wow. I learned so I would much. Not, I would never have guessed that. Really? That Aldi has the, the most savage. Yeah, I mean, well, everybody, there. everybody knows how efficient they are. You know, from the speed on the tills and everything, um, and that efficiency runs throughout the entire organisation. So it is. Um, our, it remains our favourite supermarket in this household. So good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I mean, I I don't actually feel biased towards Aldi or Lidl anymore. I think they're both great. But, um, no, I think discount supermarkets are excellent. Um, but yeah, anyway, that that taught me so much about how to be ruthless with my time, how to prioritize things, lead people who are kind of 30, 40 years more experienced than I am. Um, and um, yeah, great experience, but very hard. Um, and I think after a couple of years of that, it was one of the first times that I definitely felt burnt out myself um, and started to recognize what burnout was at all um so i I basically left there um and started at delivery before people knew what delivery was um and that was a very kind of deliberate decision start going into companies which are small but growing and learn how to grow them um so I, i did a ton of their operations um set up their initial customer service i was actually the the voice on the customer service line for no quite way. a long time That's amazing. until quite recently actually I think they changed it um and set up a lot of the rider operations restaurant operations delivery operations um before moving into market launches and expanding their um their market reach um so that was incredible I think it, it went from about 200 people when I started to um 1500 when I left um wow. so very crazy growth um and that was super useful again, um, different context, different stage in the company's life cycle. Um, and the thing I was missing at that point in how to build and start a company was the very, very beginning part. Um, so I saw an opportunity. In fact, an opportunity came my way to go into a very early computer vision company called Scape Technologies. Um, and I basically joined as their head of of operations, moved into the role of chief of staff, worked with the founders there to to do everything really to keep the business (laughs) going. Um, And um, eventually that company uh, ended up being acquired by Facebook, which is where the technology lives on. Um, So that was, of course, um, again, a very different experience, seeing something from first employee in all the way through to uh, an acquisition. Um, and it kind of filled any gaps that I thought I still had. Um, and I suppose all of this um, it doesn't seem like it's it's related to the world of health and the world of health tech. However, I was so observant with what was going on with all the people around me and myself um, and just recognizing it took a, quite a long time, just recognizing that how on earth do any of us keep on top of our health and well-being when we're throwing ourselves into these ridiculously fast-paced careers and lifestyles um, where you can't recognize how to keep afloat? Um, and I, I just saw so many people get burnt out to the point of 
no return and, and long-term sick and having to leave jobs. Um, and then other people just not really enjoying their day-to-day. Um, and I, I knew there was a way to, to feel better and to, to not feel like that. Um, and I wanted to learn from my um, medical experiences through all, all my friends that I know in, in that world. Um, and also met um, a very lovely person called Claire Wu, his, who is my co-founder at Holly Health. Um, and she kind of um, educated me on the world of psychology and neuroscience um, and uh, engineering as well. And together we kind of re- reviewed what worked for people, reviewed what um, could work for people and created a, an evident, evidence-based um, digital health app, um, basically to help people bridge the gap between intentions and actions when it comes to their health behaviours. Um, so we all have things that we want to do. Just before we came online, we were talking about um, how we want to um, get outside a little bit more in the middle of the day, but it's just so hard to pull yourself away from that computer. Um, and we wanted to produce the tool that feels like that little motivational coach um, that supports you every single day with the right types of nudges for you that's personalized to your situation and helps you to feel better. Awesome. And what a background that is. It's a super interesting way of piecing together the knowledge to become an entrepreneur. I think so many, so many times that you hear these stories of, of like, oh, you know, just a born entrepreneur, just someone that just knew how to do everything and then raised all this money and found all these customers and then exited. Da, 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 da. I think that that's fine but I don't think that's the reality for so many people, possibly not even those people, to be quite honest. You know, you've got to amass the knowledge from somewhere. You can't trial and error absolutely everything. But I really relate to that feeling of wanting to have deep knowledge first. I think I was listening to a podcast the other day where somebody said that most of the entrepreneurs they know, the sort of the real entrepreneurs that have that have built big businesses, you know, multi-million pound revenues, ended up being dragged into certain problems to solve. And it's that that tends to give people the motivation to actually go and build something, which is very similar to what you described, you know, finding that motivation to, well, for being dragged into that problem, knowing that problem exists, but the way you set up your career was to actually have all these experiences and amass that knowledge to give you the confidence as to how you're actually going to do this extremely well first time round. I think it's an interesting, different way of doing things. You know, I think that the failure of on, failure of entrepreneurs is glamorized a lot, isn't it? And in part, rightly so. I think I think all journeys are linear and failure is just one thing along that path. And we all fail a little bit every day, I'm sure. But we want to fall forwards, not backwards. And I think it's come out on this podcast before, but I think there's, you can minimize that potentially by amassing knowledge. Right. And I think that's what you did. You've had a few key experiences in that, that I want to talk to you about as well. One of them is obviously there was, <laughs> there's the, the grad scheme and retail and, and everything there. And it sounds like going through something that gave you motivation a little bit later. There's also piecing together certain jobs that you found interesting, operations, then figuring out there's a gap for this initial bit. There's also things that I think as well that were interesting, seeing and being through an acquisition. 
I think that's important as well for someone that wants to build a company because it shows you what's possible. It shows you, hold on, that was just a person I knew that did this. They're a, they're a person. I'm a person. Like I can do this too, right? That's the, I, I relate to that stuff. I really do because I think for, for me personally, I, I also need the confidence to see other people doing things to realize, hold on, if they can do it, I can do it. And then that gives me the belief and the, the motivation to, to then go and do things. So I completely relate to that journey. My question is one of, I think I already know the answer and the answer is normally a mixture of luck and judgment, but you, you set out certainly to achieve that in, in, in a way. Is it as simple and straightforward as it sounds? I'd say that actually getting to the point of, of creating a company, well, I, like we've just mentioned, there's so many things that come into that. There's the confidence, there's recognising that everyone is just making it up as they go along. And I think <laughs> yes. that's, um, <laughs> that is actually, that is what this is. It's, it's the same in every single startup. If any startup yeah. says otherwise, they are lying. <laughs> Everybody is making it up as they go along. But if you can build a team that has a lot of strengths, um, yeah. so academic strengths, experience-related strengths, um, in, in my industry, medical-related strengths, and an awareness of not just that, but the politics mm. and the social dynamics of society, where are things going, where's technology going, where are our heads mm. going, it you have to have uh, that combination in order to be successful. Um, and I, I alone don't have all of that, but mm. um, I think the team that we have together at Holly Health is, is pretty good for um, hopefully creating something pretty successful. Yeah. And that's an interesting point that I want to come to you next, actually, which is um, you said very, very quickly that you met a co-founder, right? Those things aren't easy to do. They're not easy to come across. You had built yourself a very CEO skill set by the sounds of things through operations and the desire to build a company, knowing that a company can help build a problem for, uh, sorry, solve a problem for humans. And it sounds like you set on that path for that CEO skill set. Meeting a co-founder with complementary skills to that is not an easy thing to do. You had the motivation, and we can talk about the problem that you're solving in a second, but you had the motivation to solve this problem, and then you obviously needed help, as you've said, to build a team to, to help you solve it. How does how does that happen? How do you go about meeting a co-founder? It's, it, it's always interesting to me how these things have actually happened. Yeah, absolutely. I think what everyone wants to hear right now is... Um, I don't know, we were childhood friends and we stayed yeah. throughout. She went into engineering, I went into something <laughs> else, and then we came back together. But actually, um, Claire had um, co-founded a previous startup with a school friend, and it didn't work out because of the relationship. Interesting. And, um, and I think it's it's easy to think when you've known someone for so long that um, that, that will form a, a good starting point, but actually you may not have realized how, how your personalities have evolved over the years and you may not really know each other. Um, and I think what the thing that you have with experience is you know the types of questions to ask other people and you know how to dig into what's important. Um, and personally, I think the, the most important thing to find in a co-founder is shared values and um, wanting to go ultimately down the 
the same path for the same reasons. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing I was looking for. Um, and surprisingly or not surprisingly, um, we found each other in the way that lots of people find each other in this modern digital world um, through a digital app system <laughs> called um, Co-Founders Lab. Um, so this is, I believe it's a US site. Um, we had our created a profile on there, each of us um, put some kind of high level details about the type of um, health related company we wanted to build. And uh, we were just, we looked like perfect uh, matches for, for each other. It sounds like a dating app. Um, and um, then we went into a process of, of lots and lots of phone calls and um, conversations where we, we really dug into uh, what drives us, where our gaps are, um, what we think could go wrong um, before making the decision to actually go into it together. Awesome. Good for you. And there must be so much important due diligence in that process on both sides it's definitely it, it's the weirdest job application i think you'd go through because you're both trying to suss each other out which is interesting um i don't want to disappear down that rabbit hole because there could be a whole other podcast on that i want to talk to you about holly health and i want to talk about the problem that you guys solve i think i obviously know you guys very well now and I think the problem that you solve is an important one. It's an important one for people like me who will often deny that such a problem exists because of just how we're wired personality-wise. I think for me as a, frankly, male startup founder in 30s, um, I struggle sometimes and I'm not that vocal about it and I'll want to just solve problems myself and I look for tools to do so that help me find balance um I think I'm arguably the perfect target market for something like Holly Health but you tell you tell me and tell our listeners what is the problem that you guys solve um ultimately and how do you go about doing so yeah um well let's start with taking a couple of steps back and um, well the, the biggest thing that we're trying to address is to help people remember the really simple thing that we always forget and you just said it it's it's very easy to kind of focus in on what you're doing and, and that's the most important thing but what we always forget um, and I, I don't think I've met anyone who doesn't do this is that our bodies and brains are not designed for this modern day environment and it's very, very easy to forget that because we're so, um, our brains are so consumed by everything that's going on. Um, and we're so distracted every single second of every day that we don't really take the time to reflect and think, why do I feel overwhelmed? Why is my body feeling um, stiff and, and not able to do what I want to do physically? Um, why am I... Um, emotionally sad or depressed or tired or whatever it is and really it's it's because we've put ourselves into um, an environment that is not natural to us at all and um, what Holly Health is trying to do is to remind us all of that um, and help us to figure out on a person by person basis, um, what are the small little things that they can build into their day to day life um, to help them feel a bit better physically and mentally um, for long term outcomes. And that can mean a few different things. So 
um, the, the service actually supports a number of different behavioral areas across movement, uh, nutrition, relationship with food, sleep and mental health. Um, and we very intentionally roll the physical and mental health stuff together because pretty much every time we have a physical health challenge, there are elements of stress and um, mental health that have um, in one way or another influenced um, the physical outcome. So I think there's so much that we can talk about mm -hmm. in, in why we're doing this, um, but we, we recognize that there are massive gaps. Um, lots of people are struggling to access mental health care when they need it. Waiting lists are longer than ever. Um, and we don't really apply a, a mental health approach to physical health at, at this stage. We're starting to, but not so much um, yet. And this is a way for us to get a small amount of that into people's hands um, through a mobile app. Awesome. A couple of things that you mentioned there. So behavior change and habits. I think habits is an interesting word because habits govern our behavior, don't they? If you can commit something to a habit and it's a good thing, you can really see compound interest over time. And so I suppose aiming for the generation of healthy habits is a, is an, a good, interesting way of framing that because it's, it's the habit, you know, one good habit can lead to many good behaviors. And so you're sort of going upstream a little bit, which is how perhaps you're a little bit different to a lot of the stuff that's already out there. I imagine that's a very intentional thing. And I imagine that is grounded in some scientific reason. How seriously do you take that science and what is the connection between science habits and behavior? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of different science that we can point towards there, but um, just before, before kind of digging into that direction um, it's basically about what is achievable um, and um, science will, will help us to identify um, various different ways of achieving goals um, what type of approach has been more effective than another type of approach. Um, and when we look at um, really what works um, through literature, but also just human experience and, and what people are able to achieve, it has to be small incremental changes which, um, which mount up and produce an overall um, automatic behaviour change. Um, and when you dig into neuroscience, which is um, uh, one element that we focus on, um, it's about the ways that our, our brains work inherently. Um, we, we are creatures of habit, and that is for um, survival reasons. It's too effortful to be thinking every single second, what do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? Um, so we, we go into um, an automatic state of, of being and things just happen by themselves. Um, but if we just leave things to run, then we'll probably take the easy routes quite often. Um, again, survival, we don't want to go out of the way and exercise when we don't need to. Um, it's actually, it's natural for us to not want to exercise because if we were living hundreds of thousands of years ago, we would be conserving our energy for when we really need it, like when we're collecting food or hunting or whatever. Um, that's something else that we forget. Um, and 
how we have been living over the last kind of few decades, um, it's all been about the all at once approach to diets and exercise regimes um, and kind of throwing everything at it and seeing if that works. Um, and for 99% of people, um, the all at once approach does not produce sustainable change. Um, and that's because you can't make that automatic. You can't make that something that you do every single day for the rest of your life. Um, so yeah, we, we help people to set those, the types of behaviors that are easy enough to be repeatable without too much um, kind of effort at the time. And then once that becomes a little bit automatic um, and it's something you start to do naturally, then you can build up from there. Um, and, and that is um, how habit creation works. Awesome. I can remember in my early 20s, uh, early 20s, late 20s, mid to late 20s, um, I cut out carbs for better or for worse. I'm not saying that's a healthy habit. This, this is not advice. I have no idea whether that was good or not. Some would argue it would. Uh, it was. Some would argue it wasn't. However, my point is going to be it was incredibly hard. And then all of a sudden, it was incredibly easy. I think once I'd set up my life that there were none in the house, it was just I couldn't remember eating a meal with them in like blah, blah, blah. It was incredibly difficult to set, to go through that and crave them and all sorts of stuff, right? But then once my life was set up in such a way, it was then just incredibly easy. It, 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 and, and that was the thing. It became a habit. It just became so straightforward. And everything I wanted to happen happened. The weight dropped off me and all this sorts of stuff happened, which was great. And then... I went through a period of low energy, then a pit, then it, or then all that normalized as well. And it was like, well, this is now e even easier. And now I'm going to have to, so to undo this, I'll have to go through something worse. So it, it yeah. just became all these, but then it, it progressed to other healthy habits because I was eating cleaner. I was exercising more and then everything started to compound, which I thought was a really interesting part to my behavior yeah is that how hab is that how habits work do they stack is does the subsequent behavior stack is that a common phenomenon yeah it, it can be so I, I think the the biggest thing that's going on there when you start something and you recognize it's achievable and then you move on to the next thing yeah that's actually just building up your internal confidence in in being able to start something and follow it through um and this is it's like anything else you do something once and it's hard you do something again and it and you convince yourself actually that's not hard at all um and that's how you progress at anything um so I, yeah i think the the confidence there is important um but i think i'd i'd like to highlight a couple of things that you just mentioned um one of which being um you kind of mentioned about not knowing whether um removing carbs is good or bad yeah there, there is no there is no answer to this it's everybody needs to find their own unique um kind of nutritional combination that works for them given the modern environment so there there is no kind of copy and paste thing that will work for everybody uh, and that's something else that um that we build into the service um very um because it, it has to be adaptive to the person's needs. Um, it's super important that um, we don't kind of shoehorn anything and allow the space for experimentation. 
um, because probably what happened when you removed those carbs is that you had um, a, a kind of a range of other nutrition and foods that was providing your body with what it needed, providing your brain with what it needed and helped you to feel good. Um, the trouble is that most people, when they try and remove a food group or follow a, a different diet, um, they are really restricting themselves from something that they actually want. And this is an, another psychological challenge. As soon as you start restricting a thing that really inside you would like, which actually, again, this is an instinct thing. We, we do like sugary things. We do like high carb things. We like high energy things. Um, our brains have like really strong feedback mechanisms to us when we eat them and say, actually, if there's more of it, have some more of it. Um, and if we try and cut all of that out, then that, um, that kind of need gets stronger and stronger to the point that we end up um, going through a, a binge or a splurge or whatever. Um, and this is why um, things like binge eating disorder um, which is um, one of the three main eating disorders is the most prevalent now, um, but people don't really um, recognize it in themselves. Um, and um, I don't know this for sure, but um, I think it's, it's one of the um, eating disorders where people are least likely to seek any kind of support because they don't really know that that's going on. Um, so we're, we're trying to help people to recognize that the restriction approach is, is not usually great unless if it's done in a, in a way where you're not, um, you're still keeping yourself able to fulfill your needs. Um, I think, and I think that's what's quite interesting about what you guys are doing because whilst so many things will be like, do this, do that, do the other, mm-hmm. it, your, your approach is, helping people set realistic goalposts and helping them get there. So can you walk us through the product itself? Who uses it? Who buys it? Who uses it? And then walk us through the product and and what that kind of user experience is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'll start high level with the product. Um, So we wanted to see if it's possible to package up the role of a human health coach in a fully digital service. So we we take an end user through the steps that you would actually go through with a human health coach. Um, And that means um, you have a conversation to start with. And that conversation is not with a human, it's with um, the Holly bird, which is the kind of front of of Holly Health. Um, So this little chat um, that lasts for less than five minutes to get a snapshot of of where you are right now with your behaviours, your motivations, um, what are your goals and and what would you like to focus on the most. And then with that information, just like a human health coach, um, our service can provide the recommendations of of which behaviours will be most helpful at that moment in time. There's always an element of choice. So um, we're not saying you must do this or that. Um, And um, so that the end user will will kind of make their decisions and set up um, a couple of habits to begin with. And then from that day onwards, it's a case of supporting you to achieve those new tiny little behaviors day to day um, through uh, motivational messages, reminders, nudges, um, and reflective chats. Um, And that's something that is pretty unique. as you go through the service, after um, your first few days or your first week or the next week, 
we we take um, each person through a, a kind of check-in or review, which looks at how they've done in the, the days before, um, makes some recommendations on whether any changes might be helpful, and then helps them get set up for the days ahead. And that is, again, how, how a human health coach would work with you if, if you had access to them all the time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how, how the process works, and um, it incrementally builds up um, almost forever and ever and ever. Um, and the, the goal with this is um, it is long-term uh, usage. So it's it's priced in a way that um, it's affordable for consumers and people can access it directly through the app stores um, by looking for Holly Health. Um, and um, we also are, um, are distributing Holly Health through healthcare providers and starting to um, set up some really exciting opportunities um, across um, public health and um, and opportunities to support patients. So just to pick out a couple of uh, the types of things that we're working with. Um, so diabetes prevention programs, um, this is the, the type of service that enables people to take their learnings um, from, from their kind of um, week by week or bi-weekly sessions and put them into practice day, to, day by day. Um, we're also setting up with primary care practices um, to support um, both physical and mental health changes. And by the way, I love the, the new rollout of health coaches in primary care. Um, I don't know if um, maybe not everybody listening to the podcast knows about this, but um, health and wellbeing coaches have been starting to roll out over the last year um, in primary care settings. And I think that's going to be um, extremely valuable. Um, we're also trying to support um, people who are on CBT wait lists. So if you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you don't feel like you've got any kind of interim support or tools, um, then we, we can help um, people in that scenario. Um, and um, also people who are at work and feeling burnt out and really need to build some, um, some behaviors to keep them feeling energized and motivated to, to keep going. Um, so lots of different types of um, use cases. And uh, we're just really excited to see how far we can take Holly Health um, in the next couple of years. I bet. Um, in the development of a product like that, what goes into it and who contributes to that? How do you build it? What framework are you choosing? Is it based on any particular, because you're, you're influencing behavior, right? So I imagine things like CBT and other types of therapies will have an influence. I mean, how, how scientific do you get with that stuff and how do you build that out? Yeah. So there's quite a lot that goes into building a, an app, especially a digital service. Um, so science wise, um, you're right. We do, we take elements of CBT. Um, so um, acceptance and commitment therapy, for example, um, and um, behavioral activation, helping people to identify what it is, um, is going to be helpful and to achieve those things, which then um, influences their, their confidence and motivation going forwards. Um, we also um, work kind of directly with um, psychological medicine uh, researchers. So um, in the space of psychological medicine, there's a lot of evidence for mindfulness-based practices um, to help you to achieve um, 
the the kind of longer term goals, um, particularly when it comes to eating disorders. So that's it's an area we're particularly focused on and interested in is um, helping people to recognize when um, they are struggling with um, with nutritional intake and and what they're eating when they're eating um, and helping them to first understand what's going on. So that literally just means being aware in the moment and then being able to reflect, okay, now I know what's going on. How can I act in response to it? And building up a toolbox of responses um, to, um, to help that person to feel a bit more in control. Um, so there's, there's a lot of um, mindfulness-based um, approaches that we use, actually. Um, and that's really exciting because we, we can see... Um, so much evidence from from around the world for for these types of approaches and it's kind of using a digital means to get very ancient um practices which have existed for hundreds of thousands of years um and and kind of bringing them to life in the modern world um so i think that's really fun um but yeah the main way that we actually develop this is build something small initially so the first version of holly health was um, a few automations that we hacked together in a week and then me on the other end of the phone. <laughs> so, nice. um, and by the way, I am a, a qualified GP referral health coach. So, um, I am qualified to help people with types <laughs> of changes. Um, but it would literally be, um, yeah, it, it was me sending messages for, this was a very long time ago. We, we ran that pilot for a month uh, with about 15 members of the public and had some really awesome successes through it. Um, so we just wanted to scale up beyond that. And then it's been an incremental process ever since. Um, so the, the next version was fully automated, but it was still quite hacky. We used um, low code and no code tools. Uh, my co-founder um, hacked together some, um, some code to make it a little bit more intelligent. Um, and we provided all of the, um, the service through WhatsApp initially. So it was literally just like texting your friend, but it was the Hollybird. Um, and then finally, um, the, the next step and the biggest of all was to design and develop the, the mobile apps, which now exist. Um, and um, again, very incremental, lots of feedback from the public, um, talking with people who have had psychological and physical struggles for for ages and and understanding um how we can help solve their problems um and um coming out with what exists now which is awesome. still evolving yeah and it will be you should always yeah. be what's to say you should always be embarrassed by what it looked like a month ago or something yeah it exactly. might be for your pitch deck or probably applies to your product as well if it's <laughs> uh if it's iterating a lot the one thing i do want to pull out there before i just go back and ask something else is uh in interesting that if when you wanted to test the feasibility of the tech, you just did the same thing without the tech. I think yeah. that is such an, an underutilized way of testing the feasibility of something before you build it. I think for the yeah. early stage entrepreneurs listening, if you want to figure out whether something's going to sell or something's going to be used um, from a tech perspective, if you can hack it together without tech, just do that because that clearly is what's worked here, which gave you the, the confidence, as we talked about a lot, to then go and build it, knowing that you're building it into a market that's going to be receptive. So I think that's incredibly important. Um, on the science and evidence side of things that you guys have used to build this product, that's not an approach that 
uh, a lot of companies in the wellness space do, or certainly some do, and, and there's plenty of them. But I imagine there's also plenty that don't. It's it's an unregulated space currently and a little bit like the Wild West in the sense that anyone can sort of bang together an app and put it in that category um, on those different app stores. What's your view of the wellness space at the minute? Where is it going? Is there regulation coming in? How do you feel about that? Talk to me about all of that side of things. Yeah, so... There is, there are so, so many well-being apps. There are so many health apps and the vast majority of them are, would not pass, um, pass the bar for being approved, whether it's uh, for data protection standards, for science, scientific standards, medical standards, um, usability standards like there, there's so much out there like you say kind of wild west sort of style um and that it makes it challenging actually for for a lot of other companies who really want to do things properly um and um for us it, it is a challenge it means cutting through the noise um but there are some exciting things happening particularly in the uk and europe um and um well, for a start, um, there are organisations like Orca um, popping up, um, and we we were really pleased to um, recently get our accreditation from Orca, who uh, they they look at um, medical apps um, in the UK and kind of give them a, a rating stamp of, stamp of approval for um, for whether they're good to use in medical scenarios. Um, but the step beyond that um, for NHS rollout um, and um, rollout in Germany as well is two things, um, one called DTAC for the UK and DIGA for um, Germany. Um, so DTAC, um, in case anyone has not heard of this yet, uh, is a very recent um, kind of process and assessment um, service brought in by the NHSX um, and it's uh, the digital technology assessment criteria. Um, and with that coming in, it does set um, high standards for digital technology before it's uh, adopted by the NHS. And this is a really positive step um, for the UK, I think. Um, it does mean that there's a rightly high bar to pass, um, but it also means that for the companies that do pass it, um, we're, we're then known to be um, medically approved, great for end, um, end users, and patients um, and scalable, technically sound. And that um, it really kind of puts us out ahead of other products when, when we go through that. Um, similarly in Germany, um, DIGA is um, the digital health application process where um, if you go through this, uh, it's quite intensive. It can take a year or so to, to pass through, including a clinical trial and, and things like this, but then, um, if you pass, you can be put into uh, kind of a marketplace for prescribing apps out to patients um, through the healthcare system. And I think things like this are leading the way um, around the world, actually. There, there will be other countries, um, including the US, that probably follow the footsteps of, of this. Um, and um, yeah, I'm excited about what it's going to do. I'm sure for some people, they'll, they'll be concerned that it um, it might make the um, 
the entry route a little bit more difficult, but I think it's important. Yeah, and it's it's interesting to me that there's obviously there's companies like yourself who will choose to go through that stuff as well, despite arguably not needing to, um, because they hold themselves to high standards, because they want to do things properly, because they've got a vision of the future rather than just the now. They don't want to make a quick buck. They want to be here for a, a long time, not a good time, right? And I think that's it's interesting to me that that it is still a space that that a lot of that stuff is still voluntary, and I do think from an end user perspective people need to be very careful what especially what data they're giving to these apps and, and and particularly what advice they're following and and stuff like that i think it's uh it's an interesting space to me we've i've had a few guests that, that have talked about that and i think yeah it remains to be it remains to be interesting but i think it is important for people to know that there are companies like yourself that that really want to do things properly and choose to do so because it's it's such an important element for obviously from a from a business model perspective you could choose to do lots of different things here. You could go straight to consumer. You could go to health systems more broadly. You could go to uh, healthcare providers. You could go to employers. You can, there's lots of different ways. There's lots of different models where a product like Holly Health works. What have you chosen and why? This is a great question. And um, it, I think for, for companies like ours, it's not a simple answer at all. Um, and um, and I really think there there will be a lot of companies that do not pick one route and they'll be straddling a couple of routes. Um, and so um, when we first launched Holly Health uh, in the last few months, um, we launched directly to consumers. Um, and that's with an app in the app stores, um, which has a subscription service model through that. So that is one way that we can um, create revenue. Um, however, we have not done it for the reason of growing the company that way. The reason for putting it out to um, the world and, and patients and consumers is because that is how we build the best product because we need lots of people in lots of places to be using it, feeding back to us um, and um, helping us to build it uh, to be bigger and better as we go along. Um, and there are lots and lots of digital health services that are not available to anybody who wants to pick them up um, and I, I struggle to know how they really um, get started and I think there are lots of products that um, are able to get kind of b2b partnerships without actually really proving out that they work uh, and that's slightly worrying <laughs> um, so that's that's the reason that um, we took that route what we're most excited about um, for for us and and the future of Holly health um, is getting this out to population scale. And for us, that means healthcare distribution um, with a B2B2C model, um, providing a low cost, affordable service that can scale up as, as far as is needed, um, but still with the personalized uh, model. And that's, that's why we've taken the approach of completely digital without um, human coaches delivering the service, um, because it's what we lack, that the scalability is what we lack. Um, so yeah, wh where we're most excited to focus our energy and resources is with, um, with the biggest providers out there. So in the UK, that's the NHS, it's local councils, um, it's the Department of Health and Social Care, um, primary care practices, um, and beyond that, so further afield in the US, um, it's with employers and with um, 
mental health providers um, and um, in Europe again it's it's different um, healthcare systems and um, yeah wherever we can reach the the end users who who need a personalized helping hand and do not have it right now and lots of people will not be paying for this service that's where we need to get it out through healthcare providers awesome and obviously for the for the people listening and the people that those people are connected to where where are you guys at right now and who is it specifically that you're looking to get in touch with or is it indeed all of the above that you've just mentioned so we're very open-minded to, to jump on the phone with anybody who's um, who's interested to learn a little bit more about Holly Health. Um, we, we are a new service and um, very willing to jump on the phone and, and let you know how it works and who it's useful for. Um, the, the specific outcomes that we're supporting um, the most at this stage are um, weight management and um, stress reduction. And they're not in silos. They actually run... In, inside and on top of each other um, because um, it's very difficult to manage weight um, because of stress and um, and conversely um, a lot of people who are stressed are struggling with weight as well so they're, they're kind of intertwined um, and in terms of the the people that we like talking to um, anyone who wants to do something a little bit innovative whether you're inside the NHS um, inside um a local authority um, or an employer and you want to do something a bit different that goes further than just providing um, a passive resource this is about tangible changes for individuals that um, that produce lasting results um, so yeah feel free to reach out to us um, you can find us at hollyhealth.io online um, and you can also email us at hello at hollyhealth.io. Awesome. You've dropped all that stuff in without me needing to ask, which does most of my job for me in these podcasts. <laughs> but I would stand by saying, Grace, it's been a pleasure. Um, obviously, we know each other. We've selected to work with you um, at Somex because we really believe in what you're doing. Um, and as I say, I mean, I wish you all the best in the future of which we are part and I'm glad to be on the journey with you. So thank you so much for coming on. And if anybody wants to get in touch with Grace, I'll put all those links and emails, etc., in the description of this episode. So Grace, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, James. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.